Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, Jacob here, the Daniel 3 Podcast, episode 68. Um, This episode I had Dave Smith on uh, from the Part of the Problem podcast and uh, member of the Libertarian Party, member of the Mises Caucus. I feel like most people know who Dave Smith is, but for those who don't, you know, he's um, you know, one of the more premier libertarian voices out there, often featured on uh, shows like Kennedy on Fox and uh, regular on the Joe Rogan podcast, um, been on Tim Pool's podcast. Uh, he's pretty well known, pretty big following. So Dave, maybe, I don't know, several months back had a conversation with Mark Clare on Dave's podcast, sort of about how in the experience of Dave um, becoming a father, he sort of realized that he had transitioned from being uh, more of a atheist to someone who actually believed in God. And so I thought it would be, you know, I reached out to Dave and, and, and thought that maybe uh, my podcast would be a cool place for us to dive into that stuff a bit more and to talk about, uh, you know, family values, Christ, uh, you know, sort of, you know, biblical Judeo-Christian values in, in society uh, sort of lessons from the Bible that, that, that we take away. And also, you know, Dave's a fan of Jordan Peterson, such as myself, so we got into that a little bit as well. Um, so it was overall, I, I thought it was a really fun conversation. I didn't get to <laughs> ask all the questions that I wanted to ask Dave, so, you know, we're definitely going to have him back on uh, again in the future to try to go more into these topics. But, um, but yeah, this was... Uh, a chance for people to uh, get to hear Dave expound a little bit more on his personal experiences and uh, for us to sort of talk about uh, how, you know, the, 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 you know, archetypes in the Bible and, and the, the lessons in the Bible, how they apply to us both as men leading our families, um, as individuals in trying to find uh, meaning and and value in life and then also you know in in our pursuit of trying to fight for liberty and to increase the uh number of people who value liberty um you know there's there's a connection there as well between uh these these stories and and the lessons that the bible gives us so um it was it was a great it was a blast having dave on and uh like i said we'll be doing it again in the future so uh, with that said, here is my conversation with Dave Smith. I hope you enjoy it.
Welcome, everyone. Another episode of the Daniel Three Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, episode sixty-eight. You know, we're we're, uh, we're getting up there in the world. Uh, I remember it, it feels like I've been doing this a lot longer. I thought there'd be more episodes, but <laughs> uh, it, it's getting there. We'll get to one hundred soon. Um, really excited for our guest tonight. First, we're going to do some some of the you know basic annoying libertarian podcast housekeeping where. You uh, pad your runtime by talking about random stuff before you bring the guest on. Uh, my only sponsor right now, uh, you guys have seen me uh, drink this when I'm on Reed's show, The Naturalist Capitalist, for our capitalist communion. It is uh, rabbit eye wine. Uh, if Jesus was walking the earth today and he was still turning water into wine, uh, it would definitely be rabbit eye blueberry wine. Uh, I'm not really a wine drinker. But I uh, I like this stuff, and not just because Will sent it to me for free. Um, so uh, definitely check that out. Rabbit Eye Blueberry Wine uh, support uh, small libertarian business. Uh, you know, it's always good to do. Um, my website is still down because uh, I don't know. I can't figure out how to change from one host to another, but it'll be figured out soon. Daniel318.com. Uh, if you want to support the show at all, patreon.com slash biblical anarchy. Um, you know, just want to throw me $5 a month. So, uh, I have more ability to, uh, more freedom to make content like this, uh, while supporting a family, uh, which growing soon, uh, we're going to be, uh, my wife pretty much told me it's any day now. I mean, she's not technically due till May, but, uh, you know, now that, now that if anyone's had kids before, uh, women get pretty intuitive with their bodies. And so when she tells me it's, it's almost time, I'm, I'm like, okay, it's, it's going to be soon. Um, so, uh, also, uh, just to plug stuff coming up, uh, two days from now, I'm having Liam McCollum on, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, I guess the, uh, Montana Libertarian Convention and they just, re- they just, uh, removed the abortion plank from their platform. So that's pretty cool. And uh, I've never had Liam on the show. I've only talked to him on Reed's show. So we're going to have a pretty cool talk. Come here Thursday at uh, 8.30. And uh, uh, next week, I don't have anything lined up next week. I think I'm going on Jose's show again, but uh, there'll be more stuff coming down. So uh, that's it. Uh, tonight's guest um, is somebody that, you know, maybe some of you know. He's, he's an up-and-coming comedian, you know, kind of like Adam Nutter. Maybe maybe even a little bit funnier than Adam Nutter. Um, not not super hard to do, but uh, he is the. Uh, let's see. How, how, let's see if I can remember all the things. He's uh, the most consistent motherfucker you know. He is the. Uh, there's one more I'm forgetting. The libertarian Tupac, the one and only Dave Smith. Dave, thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. And uh, thank you for having me on. And congratulations uh, on on the new edition. To the family i know it's an exciting and nerve-wracking uh time when you're right there at the end yeah. and if your wife oh, yeah. uh goes into labor while we're recording please feel free to cut this short and go <laughs> do what you gotta do i'll be like are you sure like c- can you wait like five more minutes five more- <laughs> you go baby baby they're like seven minutes apart we're fine yeah we're fine i just, I just got a couple more questions the really nerve-wracking thing is like I used to live close to uh, where I work, but now I work like forty-five minutes away from home. So like I didn't, I didn't even think about that when I took the job. But now it's like, oh man, like I'm gonna like it's like that stereotypical like you know rush from from work to back to your house, and we're doing a home birth and stuff. So it's like, oh it's, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. We have a midwife lined up and everything. So done it before. Uh, we did two hospital births, 
And then uh, the last one was a home birth. We had a midwife for that too, but the midwife showed up late. And so I had to deliver, which, uh, you know, that's one of those, wow. one of those things like you, you could have never talked me into doing, but like when there's no one else to do it, it was like, yeah, you don't have prim- too many options. Yeah. yeah like, like, pr- like primal, uh, provider instincts kicked in and it was just like, I knew what to do. Wow. That's pretty <laughs> was, incredible. Uh, yeah. It was, it was terrifying, but also it was all, it was also really cool to, like, I'd, I'd imagine that one is, to, to like, I'd imagine like, it is very yeah. cool. It, it was. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to maybe purposely do it this time, but have the midwife there because it's like you know, kind of a nervous wreck when like they're so chaotic when like you know you've you've been through it you know twice now though yours have been a little a little different because uh, mm-hmm. though you guys had had some issues there, but um, but yeah, I mean it's just always like I, I feel like a like I, I fix cars for a living, but like cars are not fragile the same way that babies are. So I just feel like I'm going to break something. <laughs> if yeah. I, and if like I if you break something involved. in a car, it's not the end of the world. You know, you're right. like, oh, that sucks. I wasn't supposed to do that. But, you know, life goes on. Yep. Yep, exactly. So um, so I know like a lot of people tuning in probably know you because we're all in the same libertarian and Mises caucus, Mises caucus, Mises caucus circles. But uh, some of my audience are just like Christians and stuff who are, you know, Christian libertarians and anarchists and don't pay that much attention to politics. So I wanted to maybe just give you like a few minutes here just to uh, intro yourself to those who might not know you as well. Uh, just go into what you do and your background and, uh, you know, the, the the classic, how did you become a libertarian story? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I have, I have, uh, I mean, my how did I become a libertarian story is really, I think, kind of common for, for libertarians in 2022 i was i i was introduced to it by ron paul um i just happened to randomly see the ron paul giuliani moment on tv uh which was the first time i ever saw ron paul um and it really grabbed me and i I was just very interested and i was like who who is that guy that was really cool what he did there um and then i just got lost in like an internet you know dark hole of searching Ron Paul and then finding a whole bunch of other names attached to it. But I'm, I'm Dave. I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been doing stand-up comedy for, uh, I think 15 years now. And, um, or 16, I don't know. I think I started in 2005 or 2006. And, uh, then I found Ron Paul in late 2007. And so I've been a libertarian and a stand-up comic for a while now. And I started a podcast, uh, called part of the problem, um, back in maybe 2012, 2011, and I've been doing it since then, and then just been a podcaster and a comedian, and I've developed a bit of a an audience. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I, I I've I've somehow become like a a leader in the libertarian movement, I guess. Um, but I just tell the truth as I see it, and then I try to make people laugh when I'm doing comedy. That's that's me. And above all of that, I'm a husband and a father. Yeah, yeah, that's that's more important than anything else. Uh, D- David Brady, uh, it's uh, he asked who has more kids, Jacob or Josh Smith. I mean, it's Josh, and it's it's not even close. I, I mean, Josh uh, has a lot of kids. Yeah, like I, I mean, unless I mean, maybe you can help me, David. Like you're still a minor, so can I adopt you? Like maybe I can help uh, <laughs> boost my numbers a little bit here in, in this competition. No, it's it's not even close. Josh has kids that, like, in the actual Bible, people would have been like, slow down. Dude. Yeah. Like, you don't need to, what are you trying to prove a point or something? Relax. 
Yeah, I, I don't even know how many kids he has. Is it like seven or eight or something? And I think I he's think going just... on. I think he's going on nine. Okay, and I think he's got. Yeah. I think I might be wrong about this, but I think the newest one coming is nine. And then I think he told me he was like, "We're thinking about adopting another one." Like he's Josh is really yeah. He's addicted to kids, but I get it. If you have kids, yeah. you get it. It's addicting. You want yeah. more. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, like right now, my wife and I are at that po- point where we're just like, you know, four is enough. We're done. But I know, like, you know, even if we are done, that temptation is is, is always going to be there because you know ha- having kids is, is is amazing. And like yeah. one of the, I mean, it, it, it and it's hard work. Some people are like, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes I'll have you know friends over or bring my kids out to events, and and for for people that don't have kids, they'll just be like, man, that looks like a lot of work. And I'm just like, yeah, but like, it's not. It it, it is, but it isn't in a weird way you know what i mean like it's at least when they're like if if i had to watch somebody else's kids it would probably be a lot of work but when it's your own kids it's just kind of like what comes naturally and you 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 want to you want to do well by them i think so well i Um, I would say it is i think it is a lot of work i mean i like if i'm being honest about it it's like yeah i mean it's in many ways like the most work of anything you know it's 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 more all-consuming than any other project or job or anything you could think of but in a way like isn't everything isn't everything that's wonderful and worthwhile a lot of work yeah you know like if you were to like i I don't know like if you if you like took first place in a marathon or something like that and you're like this well this is like the greatest thing i've ever done and someone was like well it seems like a lot of work it's like well yeah i mean yes it is a lot of work but it's also like the most rewarding thing ever and there's just it's something um I remember when I first when I had my my first uh kid my my daughter and I remember thinking like man I almost like I can't believe how much I didn't get it how much I didn't get life before I had a kid you know and how much better life is after having her and then after I had my boy I was like oh man I can't believe how much I didn't get it when I just had one and how much better it is having two and you know there's just like it's it's very hard to describe I know that people who don't have kids uh, get frustrated sometimes when parents are like, well, y- you just don't get it. Like if you don't have kids, you just don't get it. But there's really yeah. no other way to say it. It's like, you're just, it's one of these things. It's like, you're just not going to get it if you haven't been through it. But yes, it is a lot of work, but it is so, there's nothing else you can compare it to. It's just the most rewarding thing you'll ever have in in your life. The most, the most incredible relationship, the most like, you know, I, like right now I got a three-year-old and uh, a six-month-old and it's just every day my life is just filled to the brim with like moments that you're just like man if I could just capture that moment and hold on to it for eternity I I would just be in bliss like just the cutest little most perfect moments and you know it's uh I don't know it's the best thing I've ever done is uh is be a father by far the yeah, I mean, like, and and I can remember like the best, uh, one of my favorite parts about having children is like the first time that they like, uh, like with each one of my kids, I remember this. Like, there's a point where like they start to kind of talk a little bit, and like that's so. And then, uh, you know, when you come home from work, and uh, my my youngest who's two just started doing this, where like I come home from work. And he's like waiting at the door from me. <laughs> and like as soon as he sees me and the way his and I can have like the worst day in the world. You know what I mean? Like some days are like that. And you're coming home from work and you're just like, you know, you know, at the lowest of lows, you know, because you're dealing with people and you're stressed out about things. And then like 
you just see your kid and how much they lighten up when they see you and they come running yeah. to you like daddy daddy yeah, and it's, it's like it's like okay don't don't stop like don't just start crying in the middle of the you know the, the <laughs> sidewalk up to my house like <laughs> like you know be be stronger than that um but yeah i mean it's there's nothing like it for there's, sure i just the, yeah man there's just amazing moments like that like every day i literally so earlier today i don't know why this is just i thought was such an amazing moment but my daughter so my daughter's three and she's uh she she's just in this amazing you know three-year-old phase and she uh so she had this um this magnet that uh she was like sticking on the fridge and she was putting like a picture up with the magnet and she takes the magnet off of the fridge and she goes she goes daddy let's stick it on the wall and I went, oh, baby, the magnets only stick on, on the refrigerator. It's not going to stick on the wall. And she looked back at me and she went, maybe. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like the magnets, it'll only stick on the refrigerator, but it's not going to stick on the, the wall. And she goes, maybe. Let's see. Right. And I was like, okay. Yeah. All right. It's like, let's go see. Like, what can I say? And she just takes it over. She, she gets up on the couch and she stands on the couch and she went to stick it on the wall. And I swear to God, I think I got trapped into just her three-year-old magic right. of yeah. the world where I was like, maybe let's see, let's see <laughs> what happens. And she just puts it on the wall and it just falls right behind the couch. And then she just looked over at me like, and she goes, daddy, what happened? And I went, you know what? I probably should have been like I, I knew that yeah. was going to happen, but I got lost in your cuteness for a second. And now by the, it's a huge couch. It's like a four sectional couch. And I'm like, I have a huge job on my hands to move this to now right. get that out. But just the amazing moment of her going, maybe let's see, like in this three-year-old right. size, I'm like, well, I can't rob her of this. Let's go test it out. And I don't, I don't know why I can't even explain it, but I just go, that was just like the greatest little moment that I had earlier today. It was just magical. No, that's, that's really cute. Um, so we, we could sit here and riff about like our kids yeah, for the next I'll hour. But... <laughs> um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, which I don't think I've told you before, um, but but I'm I'm one of these uh, uh, mythological creatures that supposedly doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who came from the left that that Dave Smith, the the, the alt right Nazi Jew, uh, did effective outreach to and brought into the, the liberty movement. Um, cause I, so I was a like a registered Democrat. Uh, big Bernie Sanders supporter back in like, you know, 2014, 15 and all that. Uh, and didn't I got shamed into voting for Hillary uh, Clinton in 2016. Like the, like I knew wasn't a good pick. I was anti-war back then. And I was just like, no. But, uh, you know, I got caught up in the, you know, like orange man, bad Trump, bad, whatever. Um, and then I, I saw and this is I, I've heard you cite this debate before. Uh, and, and you said you lost uh, with uh, Sam Cedar because after uh, uh, Trump's like, you know, first six months and how the left started kind of going like, you know, really kind of like really crazy and the media was going crazy with the, you know, just it, it became even to me where I was at. I was like, OK, well, uh, you know, I, I still kind of identified as a, a moderate left leaning person. Um, but I was like, OK, these people are just going so crazy that. Like, I can't follow them where they're going. So I started just, you know, it, while I'm working and stuff, I've always listened to podcasts. So um, I I don't know how it happened. I can't remember. But your debate with Sam Cedar came up. And um, 
I think because you've said you lost that debate. I don't know. Like he, I think it's just he had some points you weren't quite ready to counter on, like unfunded liabilities and stuff. That was kind of like what you guys were talking about. Um, but you brought up some really interesting. Like you brought up, like you you represented the message of liberty well and got me curious. So then I started going on like binge watching a bunch of other stuff that came up after I watched that debate with you. And so then I discovered Tom Woods. And then I mean. I don't think any explanations needed after that, right. um, you know, because because then I realized all of the like the things that I cared about as someone who was on the left, like I cared about income inequality. I cared about uh, corruption in politics and corporate bailouts and and all these things. And then once like the connection was made that the root of all this was our monetary policy and the Federal Reserve. And then I kind of, you know, found the Austrian School of Economics and realized why socialism doesn't work and central planning and regulated markets don't work like it just you know very rapidly in like 2017 2018 i just like very quickly fell down the libertarian pipeline and uh, the the rest is history but uh i wanted to bring that up with you because i, I i've heard you talk about that debate a couple times and say that you didn't do so well but i mean it it it, it definitely you know caught my eye back and i mean i didn't watch it the year you did it, I watched it like in 2017, like late 2016, 2017 or yeah, something. Yeah, that was, but. it was, yeah, I think it was earlier than that. You right? did, it yeah, I think been, it was like 2015, I think, when you yeah, had that I think, debate. Yeah. So that's, wow, dude. So I've known you for a long time. I never knew that uh, before. So that's yeah. really cool to hear. It's, uh, I'm glad something good came out of that, uh, that experience. Um, <laughs> I think you were still early in your, like, uh, yeah, going well, on and having these kind of, like, debates and stuff. And yeah, it was, the you, first, you definitely... it was the first debate I, uh, yeah. I think I ever did. Oh, and, wow. And okay. um, it was, um, you know, I think it was a good, it was a really good experience for me. I mean, I do think I, I lost the debate. I think that, um, I like, I don't think I got slaughtered. Or anything like that, no, I but I think you, you that I, I, yeah. I think I lost it, and I lost it on, and I learned from it, um, yeah. and I learned from the mistakes, and and again, I also don't think I lost because like I was wrong, um, I, you know, I obviously you I'm didn't still have a like the specific, you didn't have like the specific citations and there's, points to counter well, certain claims also, he made. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of like technical things that go into debating, like a lot of like techniques and um just being kind of prepared for how yeah. people, you know, approach debates. And he caught me. He was just like a guy, like, I, I feel like, like I would almost compare it to like being like, you know, I think I, I was like a, like a talented young boxer who caught like a really savvy vet who just knew, like he just like walked me down in the ring and held me against the ropes. And he just kept me on defense a lot. And he kind of flustered me. It's also a weird situation where um, like I was on the phone. I was on a landline phone. They insist that you had to call in through a landline. And like it was just like just kind of awkward. And I, I just didn't have the experience to be um, – confident and comfortable in the environment and a lot of stuff that he caught me on i mean i remember i i listened back to it like shortly after like a couple weeks after we did it and i was like so upset with myself because there were things that it wasn't even like i didn't have the answers to it's like oh i had the answers to this and i just kind of let him you know you kind of let him just like i i just i don't know i just i let him win i wasn't like prepared i wasn't confident enough to be like no 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 no, no. you're wrong about that even the unfunded liabilities thing i was right about he was completely wrong i mean he said he basically said that the projection of unfunded liabilities doesn't account for future taxes this is completely wrong and i knew that at the time but i was kind of like wait 
I mean, he's saying it so confidently. <laughs> right, like, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong? I don't want to look like anyway. You know, it was a good learning experience for me. I think I got much better. I don't think I've, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm I'm a little blinded by my own bias, but I don't think I've lost a debate since. Um, and I've uh, I've had close ones for sure, but I I think I've eked out all of even the close ones, and then I've had some real dominant blowouts. Um, but that was like a thing to me. I think it was it was some important. of those weren't even debates; good. they were just like sporting practice or. Well, yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe that's, even bad sport. <laughs> that's that's true. There's been a few of those, but I learned it was like it it you know it it hurt a lot that I really felt like, you know, especially because it was like one of the first times like that I felt like I was put out there as like, well, this is the libertarian representing libertarianism. And I felt a lot of that weight on my shoulders, which I still feel every time I do anything um, more so now, probably. But that really hurt that I just felt like I kind of let everybody down and that I could have done better. And I, I was there like I really vowed. I was like, I will never do this again. I will always be better. And I think also it's just, um, you know, I've just I've I've gotten a lot better over time and I've kind of come into my own. Um, but it does it does make me feel good that at least there's there's, uh, you know, that I sparked that kind of like well, uh, interest you, in you. And then yeah. you led you down the path of like some good people. And like and I was going to say, like, you might have lost debate in the, the, the debate in a technical sense, but you definitely like you know, maybe I'm biased, but I think you you won at least thematically because you, the way the way that you were passionate about liberty and, and and like really just and like a lot of the things you said before you got into that whole unfunded liability things uh topics was were so spot on that like i think anyone who goes back and watches like you know even if maybe you didn't do as well there they're still gonna be like you know i was still like you know i mean when you at least to those of us who i think have that like maybe like we're we're uh maybe psychologically more open to the ideas of libertarianism you know it's like anytime we hear it hear it for the first time it's gonna like draw us in a little bit and yeah. make us curious well i also i mean i definitely like i if i'm being honest like i mean i didn't like again, you didn't get like wiped out no i didn't get wiped out no. and i landed good blows like in the debate like i landed some really good shots and he the thing that he is again i i mean look i'm not trying to like uh insult Sam Cedar at all because I do have this kind of thing like the, he gave me a big platform when I had no audience and he had a big audience and I always have like uh, respect for that and, and sure. appreciation for that and I don't want to like you know knock him but he does a lot of these techniques that are about which I do not I do not debate this way I I don't debate in a way where I'm trying to uh be how do you put this I'm I'm not trying to like get one over on you, and even though I don't have a response to what you're saying, let me just get the point here. Well, you're like, like I try to take games. on what you say and yeah. really be like, let me okay, let me take on what you're saying right now and and defeat this because I think I have a better you know like argument than you have. But he would do these things where it was always kind of like slippery. Like he would always kind of like slip out when you had a really good point and then try to just hit you with something else. Um, there's a lot of people who are, have become like popular debaters on YouTube who I think use techniques like that. I'm not a big fan of that. But if you're going to go up against that, you got to you got to know how to like pin them down. And so right. I was not good at pinning him down. But there were points where I landed really good shots yeah. on him in that debate. I mean, one of the things I remember the most was uh, where he said at one point we were talking about the morality of taxation. Um, and I, I was talking about, I mean, this is years ago, so I'm going to get this exactly right. 
but he I, he was talking about like, well, you know, you got to pay your taxes. You're forced to. I don't see the moral issue there. And I was like, wait, so we like slaughter like Muslims by the hundreds of thousands in the Middle East. And if you're like, I will not fund that, then someone will come and throw you in a cage. You don't see like a moral component to that equation. And he goes, well, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, this is the system. And if you uh, if you don't. If, if you don't pay your taxes, you can expect to go to jail. And I was like, well, yeah. And if a slave tried to run away, he could expect to be brought back to the plantation. But like that doesn't that has nothing to do with whether this is right or moral. This is just that. Yes, that is the system. Yeah. I'm not arguing that is the system. And it was almost like immediately as I said that he's he was like kind of like, OK, but I'm not going to get into this whole moral thing. Let's get into where the rubber really meets the road, which is blah, blah, right. blah. And then and I just allowed that. Like, I just allowed him to, and he did that. And I just went, okay, let's get into where the rubber meets the road. And I remember listening back to that and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how did you just let him, like, you know, and so, like, there's just, like, little things like that where it's, like, you almost, as, as silly as it is, it's, it's really important for the audience. And, like, I've learned this through the years. You have to, like, kind of hold people's hand through the point that you're making and really yeah. make it for them. And even just, like, one more sentence of being like, oh, okay, so you have no response to that. That's basically your point. Let's get to where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's like, no, the rubber just met the road right here where your argument fell apart. And just things like that, it's it's um, like it's it's important when you're debating people to not let them get away with with stuff like that. And and that doesn't mean you have to be like shitty or like not, you know, have like a, um, not be respectful. But it's important to like really hold people accountable for when they, you know either like lie in these debates or are like grossly misrepresent things or get really caught in something that they're clearly wrong in. It's really important to like point that out be like, no, 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 no. You just said something and that was completely wrong. And that's, that's, you know, that as far as a bunch of, there's a bunch of other things. I learned a lot of lessons from that. So I'm really grateful to Sam Cedar for giving me that, uh, that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that was how I kind of got into libertarianism, which, you know, uh, I wanted to share that with you. Uh, one of the things you've talked about in your show, you know, because so, so now I said how I became a libertarian. You said how you became one. Uh, another transition that, that you've went through is that you talk about how you used to be an atheist, but then and primarily with like the birth of your two kids, you went from being an atheist to uh, like be believing in God. Or I think the way you put it was like discovering that you almost like you you always believed in God or like you, you believed yeah. in God without knowing it almost uh, was kind of the way you did it. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a bit more about that because that, that was, uh, you know, just something I thought that maybe, uh, you know, fans of yours and, and, and people, uh, you know, listening to this might want to hear us talk about a bit more is, is how you went from, from atheist to, I, I don't even know if you would classify yourself as religious now or what your beliefs are but uh but yeah what 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 was that uh, experience like for you well i don't know what i would classify myself as i i believe in god and i like i pray a lot and i feel like i have a like a personal relationship with god um i don't know i don't really have much of a of an opinion or an identity beyond that. I don't really have a strong feeling on like what denomination or what religion is correct or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so I was basically a lifelong atheist. I mean, I was Jewish, I'm Jewish and like I, I was bar mitzvahed and my family like celebrated all the Jewish holidays, but there was never like a strong, like, you know, 
you believe in God. It was always kind of, that was kind of loose. And most of the people in my family, even though we followed all of these traditions, were kind of atheists. Um, yeah. No, no. I mean, my, my, my family on my dad's side is all Jewish. So I kind of know what you mean. You know, there's a lot of that in like yeah. reform Judaism. There's a lot of just like, we're just atheists, but we like doing all this stuff. So yeah. I, know, I remember my, my grandfather was like a devout atheist, but like, super into all the jewish like like yeah. like holidays and and you know what i mean like he yeah was it's, upset. It's... he was upset when my dad so my my dad converted to christianity and like uh like me and my siblings we didn't get bar mitzvah or do any of that stuff and he was really upset about that even though it was like but like you don't you don't care about any of the religious stuff it was just like a cultural identity for him yeah so there was so a lot of things so i was like um as i got older in like my my 20s I was like really like kind of a militant atheist. Like I really just love, even in my teens, actually. In my teen years, I remember um, when I was like uh, in in high, in high school, I think it was my junior year of high school, maybe my senior year of high school. This is how old I am, okay? So I got a, uh, a, a TV VCR. Do you remember what that was? Where it was like one yeah. unit that's a TV yeah. and a VCR. Dude, I know to kids today that sound like, what are you talking about? Dude, that was so dope at the time, okay? And I had it and it was in my room. So I could watch videos in my bedroom, just incredible. Uh, now, today, not so cool, but at the time, <laughs> really, it was a real have, chick magnet was that TV VCR. My <laughs> old bedroom still has an old, uh, no, I, I'm a little younger than you, so mine was a TV DVD VCR combo yeah. mounted on the wall and it's still there and yeah. it's like 140 pixel but I'm trying to explain that you're a, you're a spoiled brat. You have no idea what it was like to go in the TV VCR era. Um, but anyway, I, it was like an antenna TV. So all you could get was like the, the networks. Um, but Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher used to come on at night, like at 11 p.m. And I used to watch it every night. Um, and I thought Bill Maher was just so fucking cool. I, was, that, I always credit him for having a huge influence on me because like, I was just like, man, this comic who's just like being funny and talking about politics, I thought was just the coolest shit in the world. Um, and, uh, but he was like a hardcore atheist and he used to make all these arguments about being an atheist. I thought it was so awesome. He used to have Christopher Hitchens on and people like that. And I just I was totally on board with them. And um, through my 20s, I was like that too. Even when I first started Part of the Problem, probably all the way up to like 2012, you know, or something like that, 2013, maybe even I was, I was like a militant atheist. And, um, and what, what at first started wearing me down on that was just, um, a lot of people who I really loved and admired were really devout Christians. And they just were like disproportionately, like some of the best people that I knew were like really devout Christians. And that just kind of started like, I don't know, gnawing at me a little bit like, oh, well, that's something. All these people who are really Christian really seem like great people. So maybe I shouldn't be like, you know, once you really love and admire those people, you're like, well, I don't want to be like a dick. And so that that was just kind of where I was at, you know. And the, the people I'm thinking of were like, you know, I mean, the, in the libertarian world, it was like, uh, you know, Ron Paul and Tom Woods and Lou Rockwell and like, you know, Judge Andrew Napolitano and like all these people are like very, very Christian, um, uh, Catholic, uh, with the exception of Ron Paul. Um, and um, and then in the in the comedy world, like uh, my friends like Nate Bargatze and uh, Mike Vecchione um, were like very religious Christians. And so, you know, I just was like, well, that's interesting. It's interesting that disproportionately some of like the best people I know 
are Christians. That kind of like was wearing him, you know. Um, but what what happened for me was so I, so I was kind of in this weird space of being like, well, I'm still an atheist, um, but I'm not as like aggressive with it as I used to be, and. I started, and also there was probably also in the background, like, I just kind of started seeing through some of the arguments. Like, the arguments for atheism that used to, like, I think be really slam dunks to me when I was 19 weren't so much anymore when I was 34. You know, like, you just, just sort of see through a little bit of them. Like, yeah, that's actually not as strong an argument as you think. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of like the arguments that, yes, when you're, when you're 19 seem like really great because you've totally got this figured out. But the older you get, you go, yeah, there really is a is little it, bit is more it like, to it. Is it like, if God's real, who created God? Like those yeah, kind of things? Yeah, or just something, you know, just like a whole bunch of them that just don't yeah. really hold up um, under scrutiny. Um, but anyway, so then in, uh, in 2017, I, uh, I met my wife. Or 2016, I met my wife, and um, I just totally fell in love with with my wife. And I, you know, I, pr- I probably would have said before I met her that I had been in love before, but I'd never been in love before. Like my, I, I, my wife, I, I just got very, very lucky in life. I, I just, I met like the best woman. I mean, Jesus, every day, I'm like so grateful for for having her in my life. She, she really is. It's not like I'm. I don't mean to sound like I'm like bragging about my wife, but like she really is just the best. I mean, she's like for everyone who knows her would back me up on this. She's just like she's like the the hot chick who's also like just really cool, who's also just really sweet, who's really smart and interesting. And I just just I just totally fell in love with her and like I had never fallen in love before. And we just were like inseparable from when we first started dating early on. And uh, then in 2000, and then uh, we got engaged. And in 2018, we got married and had our daughter. And the whole time she was pregnant, I was just uh, so excited. Um, I just like so excited that I, you know, I was like, man, this is it. I got this this unbelievable uh, woman. You know, we're going to have start a family now. And I was so excited for the whole thing. And you know, you know how it is that time you have when you have your first kid, the excitement of like pregnancy and everything. And so the uh, the day that my daughter was born, um, we we went to the hospital and I'm just like so hyped up and excited and everything. And we we uh, so we were in the the delivery room and they they came to give my wife an epidural which is like no big deal, really. I mean, they do this shit all the time. It's not that. But, you know, an epidural is kind of a, a thing. I mean, they have to like shoot a big needle into your spine. And if they fuck up at all, it can really fuck you up. Like you can get paralyzed from an epidural. And, if, you know, you, you can't like miss at all. And you have to yeah. be very, and very precise. At, and when you're at the hospital and like, like, you know, epidurals happen all the time. So you assume it's safe. But then the doctors kind of go, all right, now, like, sign here for this procedure. And here's yeah. all the ways in which this could horribly go wrong. And you could be dead or paralyzed. Yes. For yeah, life. it's a you're lot like- of that. It's a lot <laughs> of that. It's, it's the same thing as, like, look, if you if you fly on an airplane, like, the people who fly on an airplane are like, yeah, we fly on an airplane every day. Like, it's no big deal. But if you had never heard of an airplane before or been around anyone with an airplane, you're like, we're going to go in the clouds. And, like, you're telling me that's what we're going to do right now? This So, like, to the to the layman, it seems kind of insane, you know? And so the uh, the anesthesiologist who comes in to give it to her, he asked me to leave the room. He's like, listen, I always have the husbands leave the room. So sorry, we have to be alone for this. So you have to step out. 
So I had to step out of, of the room and I step out of the room and I'm in the hallway and, um, and I'm just sitting there and I just like was overcome with this feeling that I, you know, I just, it kind of just dawned on me like that. I, I realized like, like that I could, I could lose all of this. Like that I had, I have this like perfect wife and this little baby who's coming into the world and that this is all out of my control. And I, I could, I could walk out of here with nothing, you know, like, and I could, and, it's, and I can't do anything about it. And I could lose all of this, like something horrible could go wrong. And it wasn't just the epidural. It was like the whole delivery that was like coming up, you know, like I was just like, and, um, and I immediately, I started like getting choked up in, in the, uh, in, in this hallway at the maternity ward at Lenox Hill Hospital in, uh, in New York City. And immediately I just started talking to God and I, I started praying to God. And I mean, I wasn't like, you know, I was like, I've told this story before. Like, I was like, I was just standing there, you know, like with like tears in my eyes as people are walking by doctors and nurses and people and stuff in, in the maternity ward. And, um, but like in my mind, like I was like on my knees with my hands clasped, clasped together, like praying to God. And I remember I immediately started, started talking to God and I immediately started like, uh, it was like, I was saying very clear things. Like I was like, listen, if you just please make sure that like, please watch over Lauren and my baby and please make sure they're okay. And I promise if you do that, that I will do everything. Like I will really just focus on being the best husband and the best father I can, that I'll really get my life together, that I'll really do everything right. That I'll be the, like, it was like all these things that I started promising that I would do if I, if this just would be okay. And I would get this family that I was, uh, that I was about to get. And then that was really just the start of it. That was like the first moment. But then my wife ended up having like an 18 hour, I think 18, hour, 17 hour, 18 hour labor. And there were all types of complications. Um, we thought that was a very difficult <laughs> delivery. We didn't know about what was coming next, but at the time that one seemed like a very difficult, uh, delivery. But so that was, the, that was like the first time that I spoke to God in that day, but a lot more came up later on. Um, and, and then, you know, my daughter was born. It was just this unbelievable, like beautiful experience, you know, holding your baby and just, you know, it's like just an incredibly powerful moment. And then it was like a day later and, it, and another day later. And I had, I had prayed like several times in those days. I've never prayed before in my life. Like I've never like done this before. And then I just started thinking about it a lot afterward. And it was kind of like, whoa, what was that? Like, what was that? That's kind of crazy. Like, there's something there. It's like, it's really something that like, when the most important thing in my life ever happened, th this wasn't something that was like, I wasn't persuaded to do this by someone else. This didn't come from like some external factor. Like, this came from internally. Like, this came from within me. That when, when things really mattered, I immediately, you know, I didn't start talking to like the universe or to karma or to any of this. Else. I, I spoke to him like and, and by his name. And also 
I immediately started negotiating with him almost as if like I knew what he wanted me to do. Right. Yeah. Like it was like it was like I was telling him, like, I will be a better person. I will do all of these things that I already know are right, that I already know you want me to do. I will do this if you just give me that. You know what I mean? Like it was like this very weird thing that I was like, what a like what's the explanation for that? And and it just seems so obvious what the obvious explanation for that is. Is that this was something like inside of me that this was like a moment it's a real like spiritual moment that i had with god and that and and as i did that i i don't know it's kind of like it's hard to describe i think people who do are believers will understand what i'm saying and people who aren't believers probably won't but the more that i opened myself up to that the more apparent it became like that's it's just kind of like it's 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 a uh, it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk about because you yeah. yes it's true you don't have like a logic I don't have a logical proof for this I'm not gonna if you're looking yeah. for me to have a logical proof I don't have that for you but well, I'm just I, saying that the more I opened myself up to it and accepted it the more it was proved to me yeah it, like internally and then there was just you know that that's just been a part of my life like I could never forget that that happened it's like it, you know you can't like it's something you can't turn off once you're like open to it. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know, you know, in, in this last, I'm sure the last one was even more, uh, a lot intense. more, a, a whole lot more intense, more intense than I, I could have imagined. Um, but, but yeah, that was, so that was kind of the story to me. And then after that, it was like, well, I got this whole audience who I tell everything about my deepest beliefs to. So what am I going to do? Not mention this part, you know, like, it's, it would seem kind of crazy to just be like, yeah, we'll skip over this and just keep talking, and, you know, and it's not like my show isn't about that. Like, I know your show is much more centered around th this stuff than mine is. But I also just feel like, yeah, well, look, I can't not I can't not mention this because this is just too important. Right. And um, I'll say, uh, you know, at least for me, uh, since finding God, I have been a way happier, uh, way more fulfilled, way more successful uh, person than I ever was before. Yeah, no, I know what you mean when you like when you said you don't have a logical proof for this. And it reminds me of I forget what podcast I was on where uh, I think it was James. Uh, yeah, James Gentleman and uh, his his podcast Blackbird, which uh, which you should do sometime, by the way. James is a really good interviewer. I'm, I'm going Tom to. Woodward. In fact, I, okay. uh, I told him I saw him. We were hanging out in uh, Minnesota. And I, I told him I would do his podcast. And I believe he just he just uh, sent an email. Out yeah, to James my, is awesome. People. Yeah, yeah. I'm, he, I'm he, asked, he asked me why I believe in God. And I remember, like, I think I'd, I spent 30 seconds in deep thought. And I was like, and I, I remember being, like, angry with the question. I was like, why do I believe? I was like, that's like, to me, it's like asking, like, why do I believe in gravity? It's like, well, because when I when I fall I, I, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's apparent. It's it's not something I can, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess with gravity, you can do tests and show other people. But for me, it's just like, I know that when I not just believe in God, but when I pray to God and when I seek after God in the ways that I, like you described, it's almost like we almost know. And I, I believe there's value to reading the Bible and to, and to religion and institutions like that. But uh, at the same time, I think you're right that there's almost like intrinsically, I think we know kind of like what God expects out of us. And oh. like when I, when I do those things, it, it just, you know, weirdly enough, my life seems to be 
better and my family seems to be better and you know the things around me tend to you know not perfect but like they go into they, you know you, you you can like notice things around you when things are starting to get worse when things are getting more and more out of control or when you know kind of like i know you're a fan of jordan peterson too but like when you start to like you know you clean your room and then suddenly you clean another room then your house is clean and then you can you know you start to set order to the the spheres of society around you and you know there there's you know there there's something deep to that that is like I, I can't give you a perfect explanation of it. I just know it works. Yeah. Well, I also think, right. I mean, y- y- there's a lot to that. And I, I agree with you that I think there's like, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not saying, I think there's tremendous value in reading the Bible and that's whether you're, you're a believer or an atheist. I mean, I think that, oh, yeah. you know, to, to look at uh, the book that is the, by far the most influential book in the history of Western civilization to just discount that and go like, well, there's nothing of value I could learn from that. I mean, is insane. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think you're, you're right, and 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 like Jordan Peterson's right about that. I think it's a very important thing. Um, it's not like in, it's not um, an iron law, but it is something with a point with a lot of wisdom behind it. That yes, there's something to be said for getting your own house in order and figuring out your own life and having some type of structure before you take on the larger and then the larger and then the larger. And this is why, you know, I think as it applies to the Libertarian Party, I know like people will give uh, me and maybe like Tom Woods and other people shit for, you know, ragging on like the loser brigade. And I know that I had someone on online say to me today, you know, someone uh, basically said I, I said I was going to do I, I said I was I was down to do another um, one of these clubhouse things where it's, uh, you know, I take on my critics yeah. and someone uh, uh, posted uh, no one cares. And I said uh, more people care so, about this. I go well, more and, people and care that about person this cares than, by yeah. commenting that person well, cares. <laughs> but I just said I said more people care about this than anything you've ever done in this movement or like something right. along those lines. Like more people care about a silly clubhouse I'm doing than anything you care about. No, OK, it's a little bit petty of me to say that back. But, you know, and then uh, another one of the people from the Loser Brigade goes, oh, man, you're such a narcissist, just like Tom Woods. And. I was like, look, you can call this narcissism, but I think that it's very reasonable to point out if you're receiving a whole bunch of criticism from a group of people that that group of people has never built anything and never does anything and does nothing. But all you do is criticize others that you're in fact, some of them are criticizing others and then have like a GoFundMe for their rent money for this month or their food for this month. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm sorry, you can't tell me that that's off limits to point out that that's that's worth pointing out that it's it's like like, you you are so you personally are such a mess. You have created nothing. You bring no one into this movement, but yet you'll constantly talk about how the people who do bring people into this movement who have built, you know, lives for themselves, how they're not doing it right. You know, there's something to that where it's like, okay, yeah, no, I get that that's easy. That's much easier than actually going out and doing it yourself. Um, and I think that there's a, a, a lot of that, a lot of what Jordan Peterson brings and like what it, it is this kind of like old wisdom that I think is very lost on our generation. And there's, you know, even if you look at things like, 
say like the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, right? You could look at that literally as like God is furious that this, this, you know, this society is not following his, his rules. But you could also look at that in a sense where it's like, look, there's just kind of a, like a bit of wisdom about how societies work and how they crumble. And you're like, look, if you have no moral compass and everyone is completely like, you know, in, engaged in degeneracy and, and decadence, then things fall apart. And whether or not you believe God, that is factually true. Like that, that's just, that's demonstrated throughout history. Now, I don't care which one of those are your explanation, whether your explanation is that this is because God is angered or this is because it just doesn't work. Or as I would probably view it, like the, the two are the same. Yeah, like, that's, it, it, that's just it, different yeah. <laughs> ways of describing the same thing, basically, you know? And like, but either way, you're like, there's a lot of this wisdom that's just kind of like this very basic, like wash your hands with soap and water type hard advice, um, I think is necessary, uh, particularly for lots of groups in our society and within our liberty movement. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and and yeah, I mean, Jordan Peterson does a great job of approaching it from a, uh, a psychological uh, angle, which mm -hmm. is sometimes you sometimes useful for people that just like, for whatever reason, sort of like aren't able to uh, think about these things in a more metaphysical or, or supernatural way. Um, but and there's a lot of things that, that I've derived value from, from Jordan Peterson. Um, one was kind of like, he, he goes to the Bible and pushes me as a religious person to sort of like, there's a lot of people who will shy away from the harder passages, I guess, in the Bible, because they can't, like they don't understand why they're there and they can't see any value in them. And so they, they avoid them, but, but Jordan does a good, good job of sort of diving into those. And, you know, one of, so there's obviously like one of his famous rules is, you know, setting your room in order. One of the things uh, that he's also talked about a lot that has really helped me out is sort of like this idea of incorporating the shadow or like, uh, it's kind of sort of like it's one of the rules he has, which is like you know stand up straight with your shoulders back, and and it, it and it's and he sort of modeled this in his career, like he's kind of and you've kind of done the same thing in a different sphere, is like you know going into very hostile environments and proclaiming the truth, and and doing so in a way that's not like you're attacking people, but also you're not, I don't know, like you're not sugarcoating things just to make it more. Pal you know palatable you're not like sparing their feelings to tell them uh an uncomfortable truth and then even at times being willing to call out you know bad actors and people who are doing shitty things and, and not you know wor worry about like the consequences of looking like you know you, you know ooh, you know dave dave's mean because he's going after this person or you know some people have ca called jordan peterson and his fans mean for, for calling out, you know, certain people who are, who are acting disingenuously, but uh, it's a, it's a tough tension there. Like, yeah. cause, cause there's also stuff in the Bible, like, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemies, be, you know, uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. And it, it's something I know I've struggled with. And I know you've, you've seen me interact with some of the, the, the nastier people in our movement. And like, when I first came in to the, the Mises caucus and, and like the movement, I, I tried to like, you know, Oh, I can sit down with these people and just in good faith, like 
talk it out and try to hear them out and you know just like you know we're all libertarians we should you know we, we shouldn't be fighting over these petty things uh but there was a certain like naivety to the way i was i, I was engaging them that i didn't realize at first but then like you and others were kind of pointing that out and it became yeah. a lot more evident over time especially like in this past year when people that i used to think were you know good people that were just misguided really outed themselves as being like i mean really motivated by like evil and it's it's you know what i mean like so, some of the stuff that, that we've seen but what, what do you th you know is that something you have any comments on or or, or 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 uh thoughts on as far as like like that that tension between you know and not just from a religious perspective but like as libertarians like you know it's a it's a philosophy of of, of peace and, and love and, and human cooperation but then it also requires us to to i don't know like to to, to be i guess it, it sounds it sounds cliche i don't know i, I guess yeah. or like uh um uh stereotypical but like we need to be men and like yeah. like stand up and, and and be strong and to lead and and to not let uh like I guess I guess the way Jordan puts it is like there's there's a certain pathology to people who are weak. And you know what I mean? It's like and, and the way to combat that is to take on responsibility and and to not suffer uh fools and to not suffer people who would drag you down with their weakness, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean I you know, it's it's kind of funny that like I feel like I, like I get the reputation, and I guess some of us in our camp get the reputation as being like um like mean or we're hateful or you know whatever the the kind of accusation will be. We're the bad people who are like uh, you know, which is also whatever, by the know. way complete bullshit because like. Uh, well, unless unless I've missed it, I don't think you've ever doxed people. Well, that's or that's kind of my their point. Families like, or yeah, like, I, like I, that. I mean, like I would, what some of these people have done to like me and, I, and I you would and others. Never. And I, you know, I mean, people can people who don't like me can believe it or not believe it. But the, the fact is, I would never dox someone. I would never go after someone's family. I would never try to like. Um, attack somebody with like a heinous accusation that they've done something that I cannot at all prove that they've done. I have like the weakest of circumstantial evidence that maybe it's possible that they did. And so I'm just going to claim they did it, even though we have no idea. I mean, I, I don't do that at all. I'd never do anything like that. And, you know, but at the same time, I'm not like I'm not a bitch. And I'm here for a fight, like not a fight with other libertarians, but we're here for a fight for freedom against the great evil of our time, which is tyranny, you know? And like, I don't know, like, I, I, I feel like the, the thing is that, and I, I don't know, maybe some of you guys picked up on this from the last part of our conversation, but I am a big softy. I'm a romantic. I, I write my wife love letters almost daily. Like if you look through the text messages from me and my wife, it's just like the sweetest shit ever. I'm the sweetest father ever. I'm a, like a passionate believer in peaceful parenting. I've, I never raise my voice to my daughter or my son, let alone like, you know, spanking or any of this horrible shit. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a person with a lot of empathy. Um, but I don't believe that's what you're supposed to take out into the professional world. <laughs> like I feel, I feel like that's for my wife and my family and my close friends. But when you go out into the professional world or you go out into the battle of political ideas or something like that, well, your job is to like 
I don't know, be a man or a woman. Like if women, if women want to come in here, then fine, but you be a man too. You know, like you, like you should also, if you're ready to be in this arena, then okay, we're, it's a battle of ideas. And if someone comes at me in a certain way, I will respond in kind. And so I feel like I'm perfectly, um, following the do unto others as they would do unto you, uh, rule. I mean, like I, I give everybody who's a critic of mine exactly what I would ask for if I were in their shoes. Like I, 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 I would be thrilled if somebody who was, you know, a critic of mine who had, you know, I don't know, like a hundred times bigger audience would just have me on and, and debate me and do all that. It's like, okay, shit. Couldn't ask for any more than that. Um, so I, I look at it like, no, I mean, I, we're in the middle of a big change in our society, in public consciousness, in, um, and, and within the Libertarian Party. And I think that's appropriate, given what's going on in the broader society. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, craziness. And a lot of people who aren't comfortable with how things are changing are, are you know, acting out. But, yeah, I don't, I, I think the idea that we're, like, it, it, it's funny. I mean, like, I see the, the people who call the, the Mises Caucus, you know, racist bigots, Nazis, or whatever, um, are not all of them, but a lot of them are, like, some of the most hate-filled people I've ever seen. And re people yeah. who are really, really angry, vile yeah. people. And, um, and then a lot of the other ones um, just seem to me to be kind of weak and not prepared for the fight. And would rather, you know, kind of sit around. Well, again, and be it's like, kind of like you know, it's kind of like what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's like, like the the all they're doing is is attacking us who are actually out there doing things. And then it's like what you said before. It's like, have you built anything? Have you uh, done anything substantial for liberty, or are you just content to to you know write hit pieces on people based upon you know uh, disingenuous, fabricated? you know, like, or manipulated evidence that you came up with. Yeah. Which we know people that do. And it's, and it's disgusting. And it's also like, well, and I don't look, think man, it's mean even... of us to, to call this crap out because it's like, I mean, so I think like uh, looking at it from like a time preference sort of thing, are you loving people if you enable their bad behavior and just be like, you know, like, I think we see what's going on in society. We see what's going on over the past two years. And it's like, do we have time? Is it in the best interest of the, of even our enemies? If we want to love our enemies, like you know Christ taught us to, it's like okay, is it loving to them to in, to to not challenge them and to let their bad be to reward their bad behavior and to not call it out for what it is? I, I don't think so. I think they need that refutation. Uh, you know, Jesus was patient with people sometimes. Other times he, he was whip, you know, he got the whips out and turn and, and flip tables in the temple. So I think there's a, a time and place yeah. to, you know what I mean? There's a time and place to sit down with people patiently, but then there's also a time and place to like, you know, re rebuke something or to, to, to spur people into action with bold messaging. I think that's right. And I think that, um, you know, we, we should all try to kind of in, in some ways follow that like example and say like, okay, yes, there is a time and place to be like, okay, let's sit down and have an honest conversation. But I also think if someone's not there for an honest conversation, that the appropriate thing to do is to, to point that out and call them out for it. You know, I watched, um, uh, most of the, uh, the, you did a debate with, um, that Ho Hody, 
yeah. guy uh, the, the other day. And so I just watched that uh, recently. Um, I mean, it was very recent, I think, maybe last night or maybe this morning. We did I it Sunday that. night. So okay, you probably so, watched it yesterday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and I'm watching it, and like the, the whole time, at least, and I didn't watch the whole thing, to be fair, so maybe there's parts I missed, but the whole time I'm watching this guy, and, and Hootie isn't coming off like a nasty guy. He's coming off like I'm trying to be a really empathetic guy. But it's just completely, as has been my experience with him, completely mischaracterizing everything. I mean, like, down to going like, well, you know, okay, so let me start with my problem is that you guys are a cult, and you're a cult because anything your leaders say you will do, and, you know, just yesterday you were anti-war, and then your leaders say Putin's really great, and everything about the war is great, and so now you think everything about the war is great, and you're like, is that really you giving your accurate representation of what you think we're saying? And when you say you think the yeah. leaders are saying that, you, you're telling me that that's what you think we're saying, that the war is great, that it's so wonderful that Putin's killing innocent people in, in Ukraine. And like, I, I'm sorry, but even to you like and, and the other guys on that stream, my criticism of you guys would be like, you guys were way too nice there. Like the, the appropriate response to that isn't to go like, look, you're my friend and I love you and you're coming from a really good place. It's like, dude, you're lying. You're lying. And you know you're lying. And you're full of shit. Like, I'm sorry, no one said that. So just like, if you want to be like, like, don't call me a fucking I was honestly so taken aback or, by that claim that I didn't even, I didn't, I was like, but dude, like, I was like are you, I was like, what? Like you're saying, well, I was like, I'm, I'm just saying like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a person who lacks empathy. And in fact, a lot of the people, you know, it's like, I'm sick of these, a lot of the people who claim that I lack empathy. It's like, okay, what do you do in your real life? Who are your mm-hmm. dependents? Who do you take care of? What, 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 who do you contribute to? Who do you financially support? You want to go up against this with me? Like, oh, you have so much more empathy than me? No, I'm sorry. The appropriate response to that guy is not to be like, hey, listen, I love you and you're great and everything's wonderful. It's to be like, dude, who the fuck are you calling a cult? You're calling me a cult and then just completely lying about what we say? Like, fuck you. And then at the end of it, he's like, well, have you gotten better or worse at recruiting people from the left? Have you gotten better or worse? And then uh, I don't know why, but the whole thing is, have you gotten better or worse at recruiting trans people? <laughs> you know, like, why is that even the measuring stick? It's like, yeah, you know what? I bet I've recruited more trans people than you have. I bet this year I've recruited more trans people than you have in your life. I bet this year I've brought more people into libertarianism than you have from the left and the right than you have in your whole life times 10. So what are we even talking about here? What is this? It's, it's a whole group of people who bring no one in claiming that we're, we're the problem, that we're turning everybody off. You know, they'll say one of the big excuses that they all make is that um, they go, oh, well, we would be bringing so many more people in if it wasn't for you guys. Right. <laughs> you know, we would be. We would be. The, the problem is that when you have bigots, you know, this is like a big uh, line that they love. When you have when you accept bigotry, you can't also have the objects of the, the you know, what the, the bigotry that's focused against them. Right. So that that's the idea. It's like th- this. So I guess we fucking, scared away the hundreds of people who were here before well, we got here well, or something. Well, first of all, what, but, a, what a bitch loser mentality. To go, oh, so if you're recruiting, like, whatever, homophobes, then I can't bring gay people into this party. If you're recruiting racists, then I can't bring black people into this party or whatever, you know? Now, forget the fact that we're not a group of homophobes or racists or any of that. We have black people and trans people in our caucus, so it'd be a little weird. Forget all of that. Dude, I fucking recruited 
a fucking army of Ron Paul supporters into the party while the national chair was shitting on Ron Paul. Don't give me these fucking bullshit excuses. Go do it. Go find a way to fucking do it. You know how I found a way to do it? I said, you know what? We're going to overthrow these guys. You want to be a part of that? Let's come in here and overthrow the guys who are tarnishing Ron Paul's name. Come on in, Ron Paul army. What do you got? Do something. I sit here and make these excuses all day long and then call us the member of a cult. My God, by the way, if I'm a member of, if I'm, I guess, the leader of the cult, like, can somebody whip my cultists into shape? Because they're <laughs> right. always pissed off at me. I'm always pissing off one member. I don't think this is what being a cult leader was supposed to be. First off, I fucking, I never get to see any of these people. I never fucking, like, get any of the benefits of it. No one's ever bringing me fucking shit. I'm never well, doing I think, acid in the woods with anyone. I'm just hanging out with my wife and kids and then getting in fights with people within the Mises caucus constantly because they won't follow my like what I want them to do. You know, I right. gave a, a speech in Pittsburgh a year ago and said, hey, let's cut out all of the shit posting and all of this. Let's, let's oh, just yeah. do and none of that anymore. One and, month later. <laughs> yeah. What is it? It's like, okay, fine. So people didn't want to listen to me. I don't know. I'm not their boss. I'm just giving you my opinion on this. So yeah. I just find like, I'm, I'm really, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm ready for Reno for this all to be settled. And then it's kind of like, we could just find out who's who. Like, if you want to keep working on this shit, what we've been about from day one is being about libertarianism, human freedom, Austrian economics, anti-war, anti-COVID restrictions, anti, you know, the, the police state, anti-corporate welfare, anti-welfare, anti-drug war, anti-mass incarceration. That's the shit we're about. And if you can't get past the fact that we're not going to, like, do this fake empathy thing where we constantly, you well, know, it's just... Perfor- it's completely performative. Yeah. And that's what my problem with it is. And, you know, it's like... And again, it's going back to like, well, if you love somebody, do you do you sit? And I've actually I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk about this today. He's like, you know, like what he does in 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 his clinical practice. If somebody is struggling with something, he doesn't sit there and affirm them and sit there and go, everything yeah. you're doing is good and great. And, you know, yeah, it's completely right. Ra- you know, I'll, just just do whatever you want. I'm going to sit here and just like. Hey, charge you $35 an hour while I sit here and clap my hands to, you know, all your ideas. Like, no, like you have to challenge people. Uh, you know, you can't just now at the same time, you can't just yell at them and say, you have yeah. to do everything I say. There, there's a balance between hearing them out and asking them questions and trying to encourage them down a path. That's, you know, ultimately what everything Jordan Peterson talks about, which in, lines up perfectly with libertarianism, which is just like. Take on personal responsibility for your for your life and realize that, like, everyone's got it tough and you can choose to be a victim or you can choose to, you know, pick up your cross and and bear your suffering and and, you know, try to try to make the world a better place. And I I don't know. I, I don't know what you think, but to me, there's nothing more transphobic than viewing trans people as these fragile snowflakes that we need to bend over backwards to, like, you know, make them feel at home for it's like i don't know anybody of any group who actually wants that you know what i mean i don't think i don't think black people want that i don't think christians want that i don't think gay people want that i think the way that you combat like if if, if homophobia and transphobia are a problem the way you combat it is like you just treat those people who are gay or trans like people and you don't 
you know what I mean? You, you don't and, give and a the shit. And people, the people within those groups who want that need to grow the fuck up. And like yeah. need to, like they they need to be told that it's like yeah dude that's like I I don't know you you know you don't get that I'm sorry is you don't get to like be um you're not uh, like hovering over the rest of us on some different plane the the thing is that you're just like all of us and that, that's even you know like the, the question of like well how are you going to appeal to like Latino Americans or how are you going to appeal to African Americans or how are you going to appeal to LGBTQ members or something it's like well first off I'm going to treat them like people. And appeal to them the same way I appeal to all other groups of people by telling them the truth and letting them be like, oh, yeah, wow, that was a really good point. Which, which is that's, exactly that's that's yeah. how I how I'd appeal to them. And like that, you know, it, it's not if, if there are in like if there are individuals within any of those groups who feel like, well, my group is sacred and can never be, you know, like criticized or made fun of or any of this. It's like, well, that sounds like to me, like someone that who's a little bit like, entitled. Well, and not only that, to have but, a wake up call. Uh, it, that sounds more like a cult mentality than anything I've seen in the Mises caucus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, we can't we can't hurt trans people's feelings. We can't have anything offensive out there that might hurt. It's like, no, it's like you're you're creating this special class of protected people and it's not doing them any good and yeah, it's actually well, like, dude, it's actually causing destruction look, to society <laughs> and i don't want to i don't want to pick on the dude and like i've fucking you know i got like it's a, tough because like, like he's a he's an old friend well, of mine well, from like listen, i know from before all this so. i'm not telling you not to be friends with anybody or anything like that and i don't know the guy so like i'm not but if you, you were know, i would listen I though because you're but, the you're the grand cult leader so well yeah you will you have to you must follow <laughs> jacob um but uh but i'm not trying to like pick on the dude but for him to like close his thing with this like, look, just like have some self-reflection. Ask yourself, have I gotten better? Have I gotten worse? Really question yourself and all of this. And then he goes in this thing and he's like, do you know how many friends I've lost? Like all of these people who used to be friends with me aren't friends with me anymore. And it's like, but he blocked maybe me. it's you. Like consider the possibility that it's you. If a whole bunch of your friends are like, dude, I can't be friends with you anymore. I'm just saying maybe you're the fucking issue here. Maybe you're the problem. Like, you know, he says in this way, he goes, you know, I have these friends that used to be good friends of mine and they really cared about all people. And now they say there'd never be a gay person if it wasn't for government propaganda. And you're like, is that really what they said? No, because you've, yeah. you've already misrepresented what like all of us have said so much. He's straight up misrepresented what I've said many times before. So why don't you tell me, tell me word for word what they said. Like, what is it really? Or are you just kind of misrepresenting it? Because it gets to a point where I'm like, no, I don't believe you. I don't believe you that that's what they really said. That there'd never be a gay person if it wasn't for public schools. Maybe what they said is that there's more trans people than there otherwise would be if we weren't teaching little kids about, like, that they could identify as any gender they would. And you know who believes that? Almost Most everyone people. I talk to. Yeah. Almost everyone I talk to. Dude, I talked to this... Uh, this um, there's this this girl, a woman, I guess, but very young. She's like 23, 24, who's an intern at a Gas Digital Network, the the podcast that uh, yeah. network that I'm on. She's completely removed from politics. It has nothing to do with that at all. She's just like an intern there, you know. Um, and she was saying she's uh in New York City. She's uh uh I think maybe she went to NYU. I don't remember, but she's a she's a lesbian and. Like a lesbian, like lives with her girlfriend, like, a, you know, in a real lesbian relationship, you know, like uh, and she was saying to us that she uh, and this is on a, a comedy podcast or on an MMA podcast, nothing to do with politics. But she was saying that she has uh, five close friends 
who are who are trans. And she goes, I believe two of them. You know, <laughs> like even she goes, this is a left leaning New York City lesbian. This is not a libertarian. This is not what anyone could call a right winger. And she's like, no, two of them are like really trans. The other three are like, eh, I don't know. It's like, I'll be nice. I'll call you whatever pronoun you want to be called. But like, no, you're not really. You're just kind of doing the thing to do the thing. So it's just in these examples, you're like, so what what was your friend really saying there before you cut them off from being your friend? Like, I'm sorry. I just don't like. I don't feel like, like, I feel like my job as a man is to be like, is to first and foremost, protect and provide for my family. And then I also feel like my job is to like, be there for my family emotionally and make sure that they're happy and fulfilled and that I'm doing everything I can to love them and like, just be really good to them. Like my wife and my kids and my mother and my sister, my brother and you know, their families and stuff. But when I'm going out into the realm of like discussing like political ideas during the fall of Rome, I don't think that my priority should be to make sure I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. My priority should be to tell the truth. Yep. That's what that's what my job is here. And when people are coming at you with this kind of like gaslighting like shit where it's like well as you're telling the truth you're really hurting my feelings my my response to that is like well fuck you i don't care i'm not your father i like i have to really care about my daughter's feelings you're not my daughter i don't care about your feelings i'm telling you the truth do you have an argument to counter what i'm telling you if not then i don't care I don't care if this bothers you. And well, if you like, have an yeah. argument, then let me know. And like that guy but, but even, and a lot of other guys I've said, who's got an argument? Come bring it to me. Let me see what you fucking got. Well, and you've always and like that's kind of what is disappointing about all this, too, is that like you've always been willing to talk to people if they're willing to talk to you. And and with with Hody again, you were actually going to try to have a conversation with him. But then he blocked you, which like as much as like because I called like, a, a a meme he didn't like a joke or something like that. Oh, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean it's and it's just like and and it, it, you know it's tough. I, I maybe I should have been more critical. I don't know, but like it, it's I don't. Sometimes I can't believe that people get so caught up in such petty things. While like like you said, like it's literally like Rome is uh, about to fall, and people are getting caught up in in things that are just like you know. Uh, it it doesn't matter, and like you you said, well, I care about my kids' feelings. It's like y you do, but even then, with your kids, it's like you're going to keep your kids safe before you care about yeah. their feelings. You know what I mean? And it's like you know, and sometimes as as a parent, and you know, we both believe in peaceful parenting, but there are still times, even you know, where you not that you would use force on them, but like you 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 will hurt your kids' feelings you know by you you have to say no or you have to stop them from doing something that you know is not good for them you know what i mean and it's going to cause yeah. a lot of temporary discomfort for them in the moment but it's what is ultimately for their long-term good and it's like it, it's not hateful towards towards gay or trans people if you think like maybe the best thing for them is not to create this like weird what I would label like a cult like uh, atmosphere where we put them up on this weird pedestal and act like there's these special protected class of people that you have to do everything they say and cater to all their all their feelings. And also, this is what the Libertarian Party needs to be doing in the midst of like, you know, two years of of like 
you know, rapid onset uh, totalitarianism and, uh, and now on the brink of like, you know, people calling for America to invade Russia uh, because of the Ukraine situation. It's like, like, it's again, it's like, it's like the dog, the meme of the dog in the room. And it's like, it's, everything's on fire. Like, this is <laughs> fine. We just need to, you know, love people a little better. It's like, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I just don't. I don't buy into that stuff. And I, I agree with you. It's, it's also one of the toughest parts about being a parent. Is that you have to like spoil? Yes, this fun is what I said, Daniel. Okay, people are a cult. Daniel, <laughs> you nailed it. He did. That was pretty fucked up that you said that, dude. Um, but you know that's that is. Um, look to me, I think that again, like it's not that all of these things aren't values to some degree. I think that being empathetic is a value. Um, I think that telling the truth should come above that. Like, I think that's a more of a well, priority in the public, said. in the public sphere, at least. I think now I don't I don't know if I agree that that's always a, a more important value. I think like in personal relationships, sometimes empathy is more important than telling the truth. Um, but I also think that in our current society, if you're entering out into the public square or whatever, I do not think that our problem is that enough people aren't saying, hey, I have to be really empathetic about, you know, LGBTQ issues. I just don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that enough people aren't telling the really harsh truths. And again, I do think that a lot of these issues are largely distractions, which was the point I was making. Um, yes. But that I was uh, that uh, a whole original criticized. Tweet. Yeah. That I was criticized <laughs> for. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, I just don't understand how like. Um, if, if, and I'll say it again, I just like, you know, if, if you're living in a world where you're in the collapse of an empire, um, which I think quite literally is where we are right now. And this is an empire that is funding at, you know, by extorting the money from us genocides around the world and is, you know, um, the locking American citizens in cages for, you know, absolute bullshit crimes and creating problems in in social cohesion all around the country and has, you know, spent your children and your grandchildren into unpayable debt and is destroying the currency and is, you know, on the flirting with nuclear war after two years of locking Americans in their homes and saying that the unvaccinated need to have their lives ruined and all of this. And you're sitting there and going like, yeah, but if there's a guy who calls himself a girl and you're not being real nice to that guy who calls himself a girl, that's the real problem. I just go like, I I don't know what reality you're living in. But it's sure not my reality. And if that's the definition of being in a cult, I guess I think you're in a cult. Because in my reality, this is a dumb fucking distraction. And we got to get down to business. And I think one of the things that really, you know, I've said this before, uh, uh, but I think one of the things that really separates where, where we are in our camp from other people in this liberty world is that, like, I you'll never hear me say like you'll never hear me on 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 my platform or on other big platforms that I go on you know spending my time attacking other libertarians you never hear me like attacking Justin Amash or something like that now I disagree with Justin Amash on some stuff I think he's a very nice guy and I think he was a great congressman um and we have a good relationship 
not, we're not like close friends or anything, but we have a very good relationship, me and Justin Amash. Um, he can reach people I can't reach. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to shit on him for that? I mean, I don't know. Great. You can reach people I can't reach. I can reach people he can't reach, you know? Yeah. And so, like, that's, and he kind of seems to have the same attitude toward me. Now, if any of these people, I don't care who it is, if anyone, the, the person in the Libertarian Party who I hate the most, hate the most, if they got in front of a million people tomorrow and b told them about how awful the Federal Reserve is, I'd go, that was really cool that they did that. And yeah. you know, you, Jacob, you know I would do that. And everyone who yeah. knows me knows I would do that because I actually care about more people knowing that the Federal Reserve is so fucked up. It's not about me winning this little like battle against you or how I feel against you. I get the, I have a family. I have a career. I have my own shit. I, I'll, I'll be OK. You know what I mean? Like I, I can get over our little personal gripes. Yet all of these people, not one of them can go, oh, dude, you know, I don't like this, this and this about Dave. But it's pretty cool that he told 25 million Americans, you know, about the war in Yemen. That is pretty cool that he did that. Like you can't start with that. You can't or, or you can't even like throw that in there. Or it's like it's like me me and you are not in the same game. If you're if you're more concerned over whether I'm sensitive to transphobia and and don't care about bringing up, you know, the genocide, like then we're just not in the same thing. And I will say I've people say that I want to like um you know, purge the Libertarian Party and kick a whole lot of people out of the party or something like that. I don't want to do that. I just want the Libertarian Party to be what I think it should be. So that's just, like just everyone else does. Group projection because who's done yeah. all the who's done, well, done all the attempted purges? For well, the yeah, year. and they've but they've failed at all of them. So whatever. Yeah. But after Reno, like I will say this: I'm not saying I'm not going to purge anybody. Um, we're just going to do it the way we want to do it, and they can get on board or not. But for those people. Then and let, like let me be clear about this for those people who think that like it's more important whether you're transphobic than whether we're all together on you know ending genocides and uh, like saving the nation if if they want to leave that's fine yeah and and you can go I remember I was uh, the best uh, coach I ever had in my life I used to play uh, basketball I was I was like a varsity basketball I was the captain of my varsity team we weren't that good but I was all right. Um, you but my, my coach used to say, well, some of us, uh, my coach, that coach McMahon is the best, one of my, the, my best role models ever in my life. Um, it, he used to say all the time and it'd be right in the middle of like the harshest practice. Uh, you'd be doing like suicides into foot fires and these fucking crazy, just drenched in sweat and it's brutal. And he would, he would yell at us while we were doing it. He'd go, the door's right there. Anyone who wants to leave, walk out. Walk and he'd push you so hard that you would almost want to. Like you'd be like, "Fuck, I really just want to walk out that door." But you just knew you were in this battle, you were in this fight. So, shit, we're gonna have to stay here. And that's kind of how I feel for a lot of these guys. Like, I'm not kicking anybody out, but the door is right there. If you're not, yeah. if you're not in this for the same reasons that that we are, then okay, that's fine. Yeah. No, and and I think you're absolutely right. And I think. I mean, there can be ways that you can tell the truth in an empathetic way, but you have to put the, the value of truth above above your your desire to to deliver it in a way that doesn't hurt people's feelings. And I, and I yep. think I mean, again, this is to me and I, I, know I got some shit from the loser brigade people, I think, like a year ago when I said this on Twitter, I said, honestly, I was like, 
the, the Mises caucus, you, Dave, Tom, Michael Heiss, Scott Horton, all of us, I, I view what we're doing as basically like, I forget exactly the way I put it, but like we're, we're, we're doing what Jordan, like what Jordan Peterson talks about and sort of like acting out that archetype of what Jesus did, where it's like, we're just going out there and we're, we're getting in front of people and we're, and we're proclaiming that the truth will set us free. That's basically what we're doing is we're saying that like the reason we're in this shit is because we have denied reality and it's because the, the state has lied to us. The media has lied to us. And, you know, if we can wake people up to the truth that, you know, that will lead to, uh, you know, that is what's going to you know bring us to liberty. It's not going to be it's not even the, the LP is not going to set us free. The GOP can't yeah. set us free like none of that stuff can. It takes us and it takes us, uh, you know, going out there and just like being bold enough to proclaim what what the truth is about all of these different things. And yeah. that's that's the beauty of the Mises caucus and everything that we're doing. Well, it's funny as as you say that what I'm almost thinking back to is like how I like found God and stuff and that you know the like almost in in a way what I was saying is like it, it's like that I found God but just inherently by just talking to him and telling him I want to try to be better. I promise I will try to be better if you just make this okay. And so yeah. in a way even though this is like backed up by like biblical, you know, like uh, like uh, um but by stories in the Bible or passages in the Bible, I wasn't even thinking about it like that. But literally, I guess in a sense, what you could say is I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be more God-like. Not that I'm yeah. a God or that you're a God, but you know, just that it's like I'm I'm trying to be more like what you want me to be. So it's not to say that we are that, you know, but it's like that. That's the goal. That the goal yeah. is to try to be as as close to your, you know, um, your idea of what is divine as you could be and in many ways i think you could you could argue that that's the purpose of life now the purpose of life is while you're here whatever circumstances you're in is to try to be as close to god like as you could be which you will always fail at it's a guarantee that yeah. you'll fail at that but that doesn't mean that like you know working really really hard could make you fail a little bit less than not working at it could make you fail and sometimes that difference is like what it's all about and so i, I that's that's my thing and like I'm, you know, I guess I'm a little bit like, uh, I'm a little bit, especially lately, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated with everything that's going on, um, in, in the, the Liberty world. Um, but I'm also very excited about Reno and I'm very, very excited about like the potential that we have going forward. And so I almost have to, you know, I was going around to like all these LP state conventions and meeting libertarians in person and giving keynote speeches all around the country. And I just had such a great time doing it. And now it's been like a, a you know, a little bit of a couple weeks of me not going around to them. And there's just been all this like fucking drama online. I'm just getting like kind of disgusted again by some of these factions that I just fucking can't stand. And I'm almost like, okay. You know, like, you guys don't really need to even be here then. That's fine. I'll take all of the good people that I've met all across the country, and you guys can do whatever you want to. I'd still rather they get their act together and just, you know, fucking be good people. But yeah. either way, we'll see what fucking happens. I think we have a real opportunity right now in this country 
um, where we can we can really like spread that message, like what you're talking about. It's not it's not about seizing political power. That's not what's going to win. What's going to win is enlightening people and waking people up. And I hope I hope I could play some small part in that. So I'm looking cool. forward to it. Well, Dave, uh, this is a great talk. I know you got to go because uh, you got to go on this asshole's podcast to, uh, you know, <laughs> decide to put that trolling comment in the <laughs> in the comments. I'm, I'm actually going back on uh, uh, Friday doing another episode of the Capitalist Communion, which I don't know if you've watched those, but those are some fun conversations. I have that, not, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's me, Reed, and then uh, two other Meacocks. And so there's, there's two Christians and two atheists. And we get drunk over blueberry wine and talk about like religion and philosophy and stuff for two hours. So it's it's really fun. All right, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go jump on Reed's show right now and just be like, yeah, this whole God thing is nonsense. I don't yeah. know what this guy, <laughs> this guy Jacobs, yapping away about it. Um, well, thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on. I'd I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, thanks again. And uh, uh, yeah, for those of you who are watching, get, go over on a uh, uh, Reed's show and and give him a. Uh, uh, watch their conversation too and uh, um, David I mean I think most people know where you're at but uh, you know it's at comic Dave Smith on Twitter right yep and uh, yeah people people should definitely for my Christian audience if you're interested in this stuff definitely check Dave's show out so thanks again brother and uh, yeah let's do it again soon absolutely all right peace you know how to book flights and hotels All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.